Father, we ask that through this passage before us, you would thrill our hearts with the hope that we have and with the glory that is going to be revealed when the Lord Jesus comes. And Father, we pray that you would help us to find our place in the procession of worshipers who will throng to the train of the Lord Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you would cause us to know that everything we give to you, we will benefit from the giving. And Lord, we ask also that you would help us to find our home in your family. Lord, remake our conception of who we are, we pray, through your word, by the power of your spirit, in the name of Jesus, amen. This morning, as I was thinking about this sermon text, uh, Psalm 68 is where we'll be this morning. I would invite you to turn there and uh, follow along in the passage with me. And as I was contemplating this passage this morning and thinking about the way that um, this passage depicts the Lord leading the procession to the holy mountain to which the nations will stream to learn from him and to worship him which, by the way, that's sort of our outline for the passage this morning. He leads the procession, that's the first part, verses 1 through 14, to the holy mountain, verses 15 through 23, to which the nations will stream, verses 24 through 35. And as I thought about this and thought about uh, what's going on in this text, I was reminded of an old song from when I was a kid. And I'm going to read you some of the lyrics, and maybe some of you are old enough to know this tune. So this woman sings, where have all the good men gone? And where are all the gods? And then maybe, I don't know if you heard the actual lyrics. You know, it's one of those things where you can't always tell what the person's singing when they're saying that. But the lyrics continue, where's the streetwise Hercules to fight the rising odds? Isn't there a white knight upon a fiery steed? Late at night I toss and turn and I dream of what I need. And then she continues, I need a hero. Uh, Maybe you know the song. If if you don't, um, you're not smirking along with us here. Um, You know, listening to the song this morning, it sounds really cheesy, but the lyrics are getting at something that's transcendent. The lyrics are getting at something that is deep within the human heart, this yearning for a champion to come. And Psalm 68 is telling us about the conquering hero. Psalm 68 is presenting God to us as the hero, the champion that we need. So let's look together at verses 1 through 14 where he leads the procession. And in verses 1 through 4, what we see is that God is presented here as the one who rides on the desert. We might call him the desert rider. Actually, in verse 1, David, this is really interesting, David is going to quote Moses from Numbers chapter 10, verses 35 and 36. So if if you're paying attention earlier, Amos read this passage, Numbers 10, 35 and 36, where Moses, when the the cloud of God's presence would lift up off the ark and set out for Israel to follow, Moses would say these words. And, And Moses would say, Arise, O God, and let your enemies be scattered. But look at how David subtly changes it here. He adjusts it. 
You see what he does when he says, God shall arise. He throws it into the future tense, doesn't he? David takes something from Israel's past. And, and think about that scenario. Israel has just come out of Egypt. They've been encamped at Mount Sinai. And what are they doing as the cloud of glory lifts up off the ark and, and sets off? They're marching on the land, aren't they? They are setting out to go take the land of promise that God has sworn to give to them. And, and Moses says on those occasions, Arise, O Lord! And what's David doing? David is saying, he's throwing it into the future, God shall arise. And I would suggest to you that David means to evoke the whole, the whole sequence of events. David, I think, knows there were prefigurations of the Exodus before the Exodus took place. And then we've had other things after the Exodus that were like the Exodus, like the conquest of the land and other things. And I think David is expecting a future salvation that God is going to work like the Exodus from Egypt. And I think David is also expecting a fulfillment of the land of promise. And so I think he's looking into the future saying, just like God did, when Israel left Sinai to march on the land of promise, God shall arise. And when he does this, just as Moses said, his enemies shall be scattered and those who hate him shall flee before him. Which is only natural, isn't it? Can you imagine anyone standing down the Almighty? No one, when he arises, when he comes, no one is going to stand and fight. David continues there in verse 2, as smoke is driven away. All the human armies, all the powers of the earth, they will be like wisps of dust arising from charcoal or, or flaming pieces of wood just blown away before the Lord. As wax melts before fire, wax doesn't stand, it doesn't stay together, it just drips away. As wax melts before fire, and it's interesting, this, this term for melts here, this is the same term used in the book of Joshua. You remember what they said to, to Joshua and to the spies when they enter the land? As soon as we heard the report of what your God did to Egypt, our hearts melted within us. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But when the Lord comes to establish justice, when the Lord comes to deliver his people, while the wicked flee, the righteous, on the other hand, look at what they're going to do in verse 3. But the righteous shall be glad. They shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. And then David it's like he issues the command. And, and he says here in verse 4, Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. And, and that phrase, sing praises to his name, that's the word that we get the word uh, psalm from. So we could, we could translate this very, very literally. Psalm his name. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. So God is depicted... I think probably what's, what's literally historically in view is that pillar of fire and cloud that leads Israel through the wilderness. And God is depicted poetically here as, as mounting a chariot and riding through the, the deserts at the head of the armies of Israel, leading them to the land. His name is the Lord. His name is Yahweh. 
exult before him. So we have this depiction of God as the one who rides through the deserts here at the opening of the psalm. Interestingly, at the end of the psalm, um, if, if you look down at verse 33, we'll have a description of God who rides in the heavens. And so there are going to be these matching sections of this psalm as, as we go through. Aaron and his wife Hannah Hanbury are here, so I'll go ahead and say it. I think the psalm is a, chi- a chiasm. There you go. In verses 5 through 10 of this psalm, it's like, it's like David moves from uh, Israel passing through the wilderness once they left Sinai to what came next. What, what came next? God gave Israel a home in the land of promise. That's what came next. And, and I think that's why David is saying here in verses 5 through 10, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. What David is going to talk about here is the way that people find their place in God's family with God as their father. Look at verse 6. God settles the solitary in a home. So this lonely person who's, who's without family, he's without uh, a, a kinship group, as, as Keith talked about this morning. Uh, he's, he's without a, a father or brothers where he's going to find a home with, with them. That solitary person is settled in a home. The fatherless, the orphan, the widow, those who don't have a husband to protect them or a father to provide for them or a family group to surround them, they all find their place in God's family. God settles the solitary in a home, verse 6. He leads out the prisoners. I think we should think here of, of Israel coming out of Egypt. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, this abundance in the land of promise. But the rebellious dwell in a parched land. I think what uh, David has in mind here is the way that uh, the rebellious in, in Israel's history, Egypt, they, they refused to listen to Moses. They refused to submit to the Lord. And so what did the Lord do? He smashed them. He visited darkness and hail and, and locusts and all the plague after plague after plague. And the rebellious were left in the parched land of Egypt while the prisoners were brought out into prosperity. Verse 7, O God, when you went out before your people. So I think this is resuming what we had back in verse 1. Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. When you went out before your people on the march before them. Verse 7, when you marched through the wilderness. Selah. Verse 8, the earth quaked. The heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before God the God of Israel. Uh, We we read about these earthquakes in in Exodus 19 when God comes down on Mount Sinai, and we read about these these thick clouds, heavy with with water that are are dripping this humidity and rain there in Exodus 19. And then in verse 9, uh, David says, Rain in abundance, O God, you shed abroad. You restored your inheritance as it languished. Um, this, this reference to rain in abundance, uh, the word for abundance is actually a word uh, that, that refers to free will offerings. Um, so you, you, might, you might render this something like reigns of free will offerings. But what happens in, in Bible translations is 
um, uh, translators look at this and they say rains of free will offerings or showers of free will offerings, and, and they say, well, that doesn't really make sense in English, so we're going we're gonna to tra- tra- translate it something like um, rain in abundance because we have that kind of concept. But I think in doing that, they've taken something away from us. Do you remember uh, something that happened at Mount Sinai? At Mount Sinai, Moses and Aaron called the people to do what? To, to render up free will offerings. And then what did they do with those free will offerings? They built the tabernacle, didn't they? And we're going to get another uh, reference to this building of the tabernacle at Mount, Mount Sinai as we go through the passage. So I think this verse 9, this reference to uh, showers of free will offerings, is not referring to rain in abundance so much as it is to the people giving the, the plunder of Egypt for the, the construction of the tabernacle. Rain in abundance, O God, or showers of free will offerings, O God, you shed abroad. You restored your inheritance as it languished. Now, look at verse 10. Your flock found a dwelling in it. What's the it? The it is the inheritance. So the inheritance in which the flock found a dwelling is the land. And, and this is the way the Bible often talks about the, the land of promise, the land of Canaan that God gave to Israel. And so why would the land be languishing? Why would the inheritance be languishing? Well, before Israel got there, it was um, inhabited by these Canaanites. And do you remember what they were doing? They were filling up the measure of their sins. And so I think from David's perspective, what he's talking about here is the way that the land is wearied by all the sins of those inhabitants of the land, those Canaanites. And, and David is saying, you restored your inheritance as it languished. You, you fixed that problem by bringing Israel into the land of Canaan, and then they wiped out those rebellious sinners. And your flock, verse 10, found a dwelling in it, God's inheritance. In your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. So God leads the people on the march. The desert rider leads the people on the march in verses 1 through 4. And in verses 5 through 10, he gives the needy, the fatherless, the widows, the prisoners. He gives them a home in this abundant land of promise. Everyone finds a home. Everyone finds a place in God's praise. You've got orphans and widows in verse 5. In verses 11 and 12, we're going to read about wives and, and widows who, who, who find a home. And then in verse 25, we're going to read about virgins who are finding a place in God's praise, in those who join the throng of worshipers. So here's, here's what I would suggest as a first point of application for us from this psalm. There is a place for you among those who praise God. There is a family for you under the fatherhood of God. Whatever your situation, whatever your family circumstances, there's a family for you here. There's a place for you here. And we would invite you to join us in the celebration of God's justice and mercy. In verses 11 through 14 we see a triumphant procession. And it's fascinating what what David does here. Um, What David's going to do is he's going to take Exodus 15. Do you remember Exodus 15? Exodus 14, uh, Israel passes through the Red Sea, 
And then in Exodus 15, they sing the song of Moses. And uh, later in the chapter, they talk about how Miriam led the women with tambourines and dancing in the celebration of what God had done at the Red Sea. And so David is going to pick up this image of Miriam leading uh, the women in praising God and announcing the good news of God's victory. And, and he's going to set it right next to uh, imagery from the conquest of the land in the book of Joshua and the defeat of Canaanites in the book of Judges. And in particular, it's interesting, he, he picks a place in Judges where the women lead the praise, namely Judges 5 where Deborah, the prophetess, leads the people of Israel in this song of praise for God's victory. And, and he's going he's to reference Judges 5 specifically. So verse 11, the Lord gives the word. <clears throat> and I think what he has in mind is uh, the Lord gives the word that Israel can go free. The Lord announces the verdict that the, the captives have been liberated. The Lord gives the word, the women who announce the news. And that's a gospel-type word. That's a Hebrew word that when they start translating this into Greek, they translate it, uh, you know, with euangelo or, or euangelizomai-type terminology. Um, the women who proclaim the, the, the good news or who pro- proclaim the news of God's victory, something like this, the women who announce the news are a great host. Again, Exodus 15, Miriam and all the ladies. And then verse 12, this is where we get references uh, to the book of Joshua. The kings of the armies, they flee. They flee. The women at home divide the spoil. David is picking up terminology here from Judges chapter 5. If you you go and read Judges 5 this afternoon, at the end of the chapter, um, the ladies are, are... they're, they're taunting the enemies of Israel with the way that though they, though they normally are the ones who are plundering uh, the, those they've conquered, they're being plundered now. The women at home divide the spoil. Though you men lie among the sheepfolds. This is one of those strange phrases that you look at and you're like, what, what are you talking about? Men lie among the sheepfolds. Well, again, I think what's happening mainly, the, the main point for us, this is a very difficult phrase. It's a difficult set of verses. But mainly what's happening is, again, an allusion to Judges 5.16, where there's a reference to sheepfolds. Um, and so, uh, the wings of a dove covered with silver, its pinions with shimmering gold. Uh, these phrases, you know, this is hard. Um, Just to be honest, the commentators are all over the map on this. Some of the commentators say uh, this is some of the plunder that was taken. Other commentators say, no, this is creation joining into the celebration of God's praise. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what it is, Uh, nor do I know what verse 14 is talking about. When the Almighty scatters uh, kings there, let snow fall on Zalman. You know, people make all kinds of suggestions. Uh, maybe the scattered kings, their fallen bodies are fallen like snowflakes on the mountains where they've been defeated. Maybe so. I don't know. What I am confident about is this. Verses 11 through 14 depicts a triumphant procession, a procession of worshipers and Remarkably, and I think, I, I think this is one of those things that we all ought to be encouraged by in the Bible, it's the women who are leading worship. Praise God. It's, it's the women who are announcing the news, and, and it's the women at home dividing the spoil, picking up Exodus 15 and Judges 5. So 
Um, God leads his people out from Sinai, verses 1 through 4, into the land of promise, verses 5 through 10, and then the women lead the worship in, in a triumphant procession in verses 11 through 14. And then in verses 15 through 18, we read about a, a transfer that takes place. And this is a, this is a remarkable passage Uh, David accomplishes some big theology in these poetic phrases. Um, So he starts out in verse 15. He says, O mountain of God. And if we were to just stop there and I were to say, in the Bible, what is the mountain of God? Sinai, that's right. Mount Horeb. Um, Back in Exodus, uh, Mount Horeb is referred to as the mountain of God. It's also referred to as Mount Sinai. So I think what David is doing is he's addressing the mountain of Bashan, and he's bringing up the mountain of God. But it's not Sinai now. It's a new mountain that's the mountain of God. So it's like he's talking to Mount Mount Bashan. He says, oh, mountain of God. Mountain of Bashan, are you listening? Oh, many-peaked mountain, mountain of Bashan. Why do you look with hatred, verse 16, at the mount that God desired for his abode? Now, where did God place his dwelling? Where did God uh, choose to have his uh, name dwell there? It's Mount Zion, right? Jerusalem. So the mountain of God is not Sinai anymore. The mountain of God is now Mount Zion, Jerusalem. Yes, where the Lord will dwell forever. And, and, And then in verse 17, David says, the chariots of God are twice 10,000. Thousands upon thousands, the Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. This is really, really interesting uh, language that's used here because it de- it's, it's as though it depicts God uh, making the, the journey from Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, to Mount Zion, the new mountain of God, and there's a, a chariot procession of God going from the one place to the other. The chariots of God are, are twice 10,000. You know, there are a couple other passages in the Bible that speak of God mounted on a chariot. One of them is Ezekiel chapter 1. If you've ever read that chapter and you've gotten lost in all the wheels, uh, that, those wheels are all talking about this chariot that God is mounted on. You also read about the same thing in Daniel chapter 7 when Daniel has this vision of the Ancient of Days and there are these wheels and there's this fire issue, issuing. Interestingly, uh, in Ezekiel 1, the temple's about to be destroyed and God has left the temple, so God's in motion. And in Daniel 7, Daniel's in exile, the temple's already been destroyed. And so again, it's like God has taken up residence, as it were, on this chariot throne. And here, God uh, has transferred his dwelling place from Mount Mount Sinai to Mount Zion, and it's, it's depicted as though he's traveled on a chariot with these thousands upon thousands surrounding him. Look at what he says at the end of verse 17. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. What's the import of this? Well, I think what David is getting at is everything that was signified by Mount Sinai, and think about what happened there. God came down on the mountain, and he spoke the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai, and he gave the law to Israel at Mount Sinai. And in the giving of the law, there was also the instructions for the tabernacle given at Mount Sinai. And it's like David is saying, 
Everything that is symbolized by Mount Sinai, you take all that and you transfer it now to Zion, where the temple is. And I think Isaiah fully and completely understood what David was getting at in this passage because a couple hundred years later, so David is about 1,000 B.C., Isaiah is in the 700s B.C., and in Isaiah chapter 2, Isaiah says in verse 3, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that's Temple Mount, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go the law. That's what happened at Sinai. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So I would suggest what's happening here in Isaiah 2, 3 is he's interpreting Psalm 68, 17, which is kind of a cool thing to see. One Old Testament author interpreting an earlier Old Testament author. And then verse 18, where David writes, you ascended on high. Now, who's the you? I think there are a couple of possibilities. He could be talking about Moses going up on Mount Sinai. Another possibility is he could be talking about the Lord who has, uh, he's been moving as the pillar of fire in front of the people of Israel, and then they arrive at Mount Sinai, and the Lord meets with Moses upon the mountain. Uh, either one works. You ascended on high, verse 18, leading a host of captives in your train. I think clearly this is the Israelites who have come out to Mount Sinai. And then verse 18 says, and receiving gifts among men. I think this is another reference to those free will offerings that, that we saw uh, in that phrase, rain in abundance, uh, back in verse 9. Uh, the Lord, or Moses, either way, receives these gifts from Israel, uh, the plunder of Egypt. That's, that's an important detail. You remember that uh, Moses instructed the Israelites when they left Egypt to ask of their neighbors for their gold and their earrings and all their stuff, and the Egyptians gave it to them. And then they get out to Mount Sinai, and the Israelites willingly give that stuff to Moses, who gives it to Aaron, and they build the tabernacle, and that's given back to Israel. The tabernacle is. It's given to Israel, and the Lord dwells in their midst in the tabernacle. Don't miss this. Israel makes sacrifices to the Lord, and God gives them his presence. Point of application. First application in this sermon, everybody finds a place in God's praise. Second application in this sermon, God's people benefit from every sacrifice they make for him. You will never make a sacrifice for the Lord that you will not get back a hundredfold. I say that with the authority of King Jesus himself. You remember that occasion in the Gospel of Mark when Jesus, he, he commands this rich young ruler who's an idolater and he's a money lover, and he says to him, leave it all. Go sell all your possessions and give to the poor and then come follow me. And the guy won't do it, and he won't do it because he loves mammon, not God. And Peter steps up and he says, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus says to him, nobody who has left anything, that's a summary of houses and fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers and lands, will not receive it all in this life and in the age to come, eternal life. Every sacrifice you make for the Lord will be repaid for you more than you can imagine and better than it would have been had you kept what you were thinking that maybe you would render up to the Lord.
So be confident in your giving. Be confident in your self-sacrificial love. This is going to come back to you for good. So you ascended on high, verse 18, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men. Now, um, maybe you noticed, as Brant read the passage in Ephesians 4 earlier, that when Paul quotes this verse in Ephesians 4, 8, he says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And a lot of people have trouble with this. Psalm 68 says receiving gifts. Ephesians 4 says he gave gifts. Well, first let me say that whether it's the Lord who ascended on high or Moses who ascended on high, Jesus can be seen as the fulfillment, right? So, so Paul is talking about Jesus ascending on high in Ephesians 4. Um, Jesus fulfills everything typified by Moses. Jesus is the incarnation of God. So whether it's the Lord or Moses, it works in fulfillment, uh, finding fulfillment in Jesus. But remember the dynamic here. Uh, whether it's Moses or the Lord, they receive the gifts, but then they give the tabernacle, right? The gifts are built into the tabernacle and given back to Israel. So I think though there's a surface level change from receive to give, Really, you can see that surface-level change as a profoundly correct interpretation of what's going on in Psalm 68. So it, it works, I would argue. It works because just as God gave the tabernacle, as Brent read in Ephesians 4, what Jesus gives is the material for the building of the church, which is the fulfillment of the Old Testament dwelling place of God. Even among the rebellious, verse 18 of Psalm 68 continues, that the Lord God may dwell there. So God is going to dwell among his people. And that brings us to verses 19 and 20. Let me just insert here, if you want to follow up on anything that we're talking about in this sermon, if you want to slow it down, rewind it, and go back through it, I'm happy to talk further after the, after the service. Verses 19 and 20. This is the center of this psalm. So... If you were to ask yourself, what's the point of Psalm 68? I would argue that it's right here in verses 19 and 20. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. Whether we're orphans or widows or solitary homeless people, blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. Some people, they get into desperate situations and they, they find themselves forced to do wicked things. And I think what the Bible is teaching is that God gets his people into desperate situations where they will need him. And then if they will trust him, he comes through. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Selah. And then verse 20, our God is a God of salvation. And to God, the Lord, belong deliverances from death. Not even death is going to stop the Lord. This enables a faithfulness in the worst of desperate situations. Because if you believe that God is going to raise the dead, then you believe that your death is not the end. And you believe that it is right and good to be faithful to the Lord, even if it leads to your death. To the Lord belong deliverances from death. 
uh, verses 21 through 23. This is going to correspond to, to verses 15 through 18, uh, where uh, the significance of Mount Sinai moves to Mount Zion. And what we've got in verses 21 through 23 is the means by which God accomplishes his victory. And this is a poetic interpretation of Genesis 3.15. Look at verse 21. God will strike the heads of his enemies. You remember Genesis 3.15? I'll put enmity between you and the woman, God says to the serpent, and between your seed and her seed. And he, the seed of the woman, will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. God will strike the heads of his enemies. Notice how it's plural. The seed of the serpent in in the collective, in the group. Then it switches to the singular. The hairy crown of him who walks in, in his guilty ways. And I think what David is suggesting is God is going to defeat Satan and the seed of the serpent. God's going to He's going to defeat the arch enemy, the ancient serpent, uh, the dragon. He's going to defeat him and everybody aligned with him. And then verses 22, it seems that these people who are brought back, verse 22, the Lord said, I will bring them back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea. These seem to be the enemies because, verse 23, that you may strike your feet in their blood. So there seems to be a putting together of the bruising of the heel and the bruising of the head where the head is struck and the feet do the striking. That you may strike your feet in their blood, that the tongues of your dogs may have their portion from the foe. Um, So uh, the dogs are going to devour the enemies of God. And then in verses 24 through 27, we have another procession. This matches Verses 11 through 14, we've got another triumphant procession. David writes, your procession is seen, O God, the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. The singers in front, the musicians last, between them virgins playing tambourines. Bless God in the great congregation, the Lord, O you who are of Israel's fountain, So everybody that belongs to Israel is called to bless the Lord. And then David looks at the host and he says, There is Benjamin, the least of them in the lead, the princes of Judah in their throng, the princes of Zebulun, the princes of Naphtali. And I think what we're invited to do here is picture in our mind's eye all of those who have overcome throughout all the ages, this great host of worshipers making its way into the new city for the praise of the everlasting God. And then David says in verse 28, this is going back to the way that God is the home giver in verses 5 through 10. Now in verses 28 through 31, he's the land giver. Verse 28, summon your power, O God, the power, O God, by which you have worked for us. Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings shall bear gifts to you. Rebuke the beasts that dwell among the reeds. So the kings of of foreign nations, they're going to bring tribute in verse 29. And then verse 30, it seems that the beasts that dwell among the reeds, this is a a poetic way it it appears of referring to Egypt. And then Egypt would be the herd of bulls with the calves of the people. Egypt is this mighty nation. They're like a bull among all the, the calves, the other nations. And then David says here in verse 30, Trample underfoot those who lust after tribute. Scatter the peoples who delight in war. And I take that to be the inhabitants of Canaan 
that God is going to defeat and scatter, and then he's going to give the land to Israel. And all this is going to result in verse 31 in the nations, the kings of the earth, bringing their wealth up to the Lord in Zion. Nobles shall come from Egypt. Cush shall hasten to stretch out her hands to God. And then the whole psalm concludes in verses 32 through 35 with this this summons to praise the one who rides on the heavens. O kingdoms of the earth, verse 32, sing to God. Sing praises to the Lord, Selah. To him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens, behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice. Ascribe power to God whose majesty is over Israel, and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. So to summarize the whole thing, it's like David picks up this language from Israel leaving Mount Sinai. And he says, God is going to do that in the future. God is going to arise. And he's going to lead his people through this wilderness, which I would suggest is kind of where we are. We are in a wilderness, and we are on our way to a new Jerusalem, a new and better land of promise, a new heavens and a new earth. And and on the way, we're being told God is going to give us a permanent home in a true family. And then there's this procession of people making their way to the holy mountain where God dwells, to which the nations are going to stream to render him tribute. And so here's your final point of application. First one, there's a place for everybody in the praise of God. Second one, you will be the one who benefits from every sacrifice you make. Third one, come home. Come home and sing God's praise. That's what you're being invited to in Psalm 68. You're being invited to a father who will never fail you. You're being invited to a family who, though we may fail you, we will love you sincerely. You're being invited to place your hope and trust in a savior, a king, who gave his life to pay the penalty for your sin. You're being invited to come home and join the throngs of worshipers who will surround the throne And sing glory and honor to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And then we will go out and we will exercise dominion in a new creation the way it was supposed to be when God created it from the beginning. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would cause this to be more beautiful to us than any other place of comfort and security on offer. And Lord, we pray that when we hear the yearnings in our culture for a hero, for a champion on a fiery steed clothed in white who will conquer enemies and who will never fail, we pray, Lord, that you would give us the opportunity to say to people, I know the hero that you long for. And Lord, we pray that if there are those here who are reluctant to come to Jesus, we pray that you would overwhelm them with your love. We pray that you would overpower them with your kindness and your goodness. 
And Father, we pray that you would help us to live as those who have a Father like you. We love you. We, we thank you for Jesus. We pray that you'd help us to find our place in those who praise you. And we ask it all in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, whoever lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, world without end. Amen. Amen.